All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. If you don't have the Central Church app, um, I would encourage you to get it. All of our announcements and sermons and all of everything live on the Central Church app, and so it's pretty cool to have. But if you've got a Bible, grab it, um, open to John chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. This is week number two of our series called Love and War, and it's all about the battle for your relationships, all relationships, not just husband and wife relationships, but every relationship, um, dating relationships, relationships between um, parents and your kids and kids and your parents and coworker relationships and your relationship with Jesus, like everything is tied into this because everything's a fight. Everything's a spiritual battle. We, we talked about last week, we, we talked about the differences between men and women. And, and that's not a political statement. That's just the truth, right? That men and women are different. Like if you think about the way men talk to men and the way women talk to women, you, you ever like kind of notice that? You ever seen like when two men argue and they get in a fight? Like two men can cuss each other out and 10 minutes later they're at Borden Arrows getting a steak sandwich together. Two women cuss each other out? Won't talk in heaven, like forever, right? And I talked last week about spiritual warfare in the context of, of relationships and how the enemy attacks us and how he's going to continually attack us. And some people say that the enemy attacks men and women the same, that he attacks both of us exactly. And, and, and listen, to some extent, that's true. He, he attacks us the same. But I think he approaches men and women differently. And I believe he comes after women different than he comes after men. Now, next week, we're going to talk about men. And men, I want to encourage you, strongly encourage you to be here next week. Because next week isn't your typical man sermon. Typical man sermon, this is a typical man sermon. Hey, you suck. Be a better man. Follow Jesus. Go home. Hope to see you next week. Like, that's, that's not next week. I don't know if I have that message or not. I don't know. Have I preached that message before? I don't, I don't know that I have. I don't know. But, but next week... I'm going to share with you a few questions that we all struggle with. Like all of us men, we, we struggle with. And, and if you're, if you're if, anyway, be here next week. Um, today, because when I was growing up, mama taught me ladies first, right? And so today we're going to pick on the ladies. And ladies, here's, here's the deal. Last week we talked about um, Adam and Eve in the garden. And we said Eve was tempted first. But the thing is, Adam was there. Like, dude was there. Dude could have stopped everything in that moment. Like, Snake is there, talking, telling her all of this stuff. He knew the truth. He didn't step up to his responsibility and stop it. He could have. But Eve took the fruit, and she took a bite, and everything just went to, just fell apart, went to pieces. Well, this week, I'm going to show you a New Testament story, and we're going to kind of relate it Back to Genesis chapter 3 and the story of Adam and Eve. If you've been in church for a while, if you've been to this church, you've more than likely heard this story. Um, I've preached on it quite a bit, but probably not in this context. John chapter 4 is about a woman. We don't even know her name. Like she just called the woman at the well. That's, that's, that's her name. And, and Jesus and the disciples are going somewhere to do some ministry. And John chapter 4, verse 4, starts out like this. It says, he, meaning it's talking about Jesus, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, let me pause real quick. Again, if you've been around Central for a while, you've heard me talk about this. If you haven't been around Central before, let me explain it. Jesus is going from um, the Jerusalem, Judea area up to Galilee. Now, there are three routes that he could have taken. 
Um, he, he could have gone the common route. Um, he could have gone the out-of-the-way route. Or he could have gone through Samaria. Now, Orthodox Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Samaritans were those people. You know what I, you know what I mean when I say those people? Those people. You don't hang out with those people. Don't associate with them. You don't talk to those people. Stay away from those people. We don't play with those people. We stay away from those people. They were godless. They were pagans. They were looked down upon by the Jews. I mean, in this context, in this time period, you couldn't get any lower than being a Samaritan. And so I have always found it funny that the Bible right here, John tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria because geographically it's not true. But spiritually, it is. And, and you see, while good Orthodox Jews would not have gone through Samaria, they wouldn't have been a part of Samaria, they would have done everything they could to avoid it, Jesus went there. Jesus had to go there, which is an awesome reminder that, that Jesus intentionally runs two things that religion runs from. So if, if you're in this room and you feel like religion has pushed you out, it's probably so Jesus can pull you in because he has a habit of approaching people that everybody thinks are unapproachable and unusable and taking their lives and using them for something absolutely incredible. Amen? So verse 5 says this, Eventually, they came, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Je- watch this. Jesus, tired from the long walk. Now, let me just hold up and say this for a second. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Like, fully God and, like, we got to be on the same page with that. You're going to, like, Central going to be your church. We're on the same page. Jesus is fully God and fully man. We're quick to, to, to think about and remember the fully God part, but we don't really think about fully man. You know why Jesus got tired right here? Because he walked. He walked a long way. I know a lot of you imagine Jesus just floating, floating everywhere that he went. That's not, that's not what Jesus did. Like, Jesus walked, fully man, and, and, and so he's tired. And then it says he sat. How did he sit? So wearily. Why? Why did he sit like that? Because he's tired, right? Like, it's, that's it. He sat wearily beside the well, and then it says about what time? Noontime. Noontime in the Middle East. Noontime in the middle. You think it's hot, yes or no? Yeah, it's hot. In the summertime in Iowa at noontime, uh, it's hot. In the Middle East, it's really hot. And so keep that in mind. We're going to come back and talk about that. Verse 7, soon a Samaritan woman. Now, Samaritans, those people, they were looked down upon. But now you put a woman into the story. And women were considered property. They were the lowest of the low. And so here you have a Samaritan. Like you, you can't get any lower on the totem pole than a Samaritan woman. This is, this is bad. And here's a woman that people, don't miss this, that people would have looked down on her. She's coming about noontime all by herself. No, no one else is there, as you'll see in a little bit. We'll talk about that in a second. Noontime came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Why do you want a drink? Why? He tired, he's thirsty, right? I mean, that's why you want a drink, been walking all day. Uh, anyway, 
He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Which, when you read that, if you know the Bible, you're like, why didn't Jesus just ask the disciples, like, if they had crumbs in their pocket? Or, like, you know, surely somebody got a nugget left. Give me a nugget. We'll make a nugget tray. Jesus could have fed everybody, right? But don't miss this. And I've, I've taught on this before. There's so much spiritual significance in this. Jesus had to get rid of all of them so that he could do some work with this lady. It's amazing, the spiritual ramifications that are happening here. Verse 9, the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. Because sometimes you got to tell Jesus stuff, right? Because Jesus don't know. No, how many? No, 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 we're not raise your hand. You are a Jew, I am a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? She's puzzled. She's puzzled for a few reasons. Because here's a man talking to her. I don't understand. She's, she's puzzled because here's a Jewish man talking to her. Why would a Jewish man talk to me? And some scholars believe that the way Jesus would have dressed, he would have dressed in a super orthodox way. And, and so she would have known that he was religious. And so why is this religious Jewish man speaking to me? Why? Well, I said all that to set up where we're going as we talk about how does the enemy attack a woman. Guys, I told you last week, I would tell you how to understand spiritually a woman. Well, I'm going to tell you spiritually how the enemy attacks her, how he comes after her, how he, how he creates all of this confusion, and, and how spiritually you can understand what's going on. And so these are three major ways that the enemy is going to attack a woman. All right, y'all ready for this? Number one, uncertainty. That idiot going to get you to doubt. He's going to put so much uncertainty in your life. Ladies, I got, I got a question for you. And this is not a super spiritual question because Pastor Ryan isn't super spiritual anyway. And so um, this is just a basic question. Yes or no question. There ain't no shame in this question. However, husbands, if your wife lies, I'm going to give you permission right now to call her out. Just straight out. She don't raise her hand. You call her out, Okay. Here, here we go. Some of you are going to be sleeping on the couch tonight. It's cool. Ladies, how many of you, now be honest. You've got to be honest. In church on a Sunday, you've got to be honest. Shame the devil. Tell the truth, right? How many of you have ever left the house and about five to ten minutes down the road, you look at your husband and you think, or you think to yourself, did I leave the blank on? How many? How many? Come on, own it right now. Husbands, isn't it fascinating? They can't remember if they left the oven on, but they remember what you did December 8, 2012 that hurt them. I know some of you men right now are thinking, that's it, pray and go home. We got all we need, Pastor, right there. You called them out. It's perfect. The enemy's going to attack. Like, he is going to come after us. And ladies, listen, one of the main ways he's going to attack you is to get you to doubt, to cause uncertainty in your life. He's going to get you to doubt who Jesus is, who you are, and what God has said to you. That's what he did with Eve. Like, that's how he came after. In the the garden, we talked about this last week. Satan came at Eve. And the first thing he said to her, the, the condensed version of all of this, is, Eve, did God really say like, is that really, I mean, Eve, come, come on, girl, let's, let's be honest. I mean, how do you know it was God that said that? I mean, you sure Adam didn't say that? Like, Adam isn't trying to, like, he's just, Adam's trying to suppress you. He's trying to keep you under his thumb. God didn't, li- listen, this is one of the major ways, ladies, that, God, that the devil is going to attack your mind. Now, let, let me say this. I forgot to say this at the beginning. Um, 
obviously everything I'm saying today can transfer over to men. But, but I'm telling ladies today, one of the major ways that idiot attacks you is to get you to doubt. And he attacks and gets you to doubt with three questions. The first one, letter A, was that what he said, he, did, did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really say if you're single that you don't need, you shouldn't compromise? I mean, did God really say that? Is that really what he said to you? Is he, is he really telling you to just take any guy that just comes, is he really saying that? Did God really say to forgive? I mean, come on. Look at what you went through. Look at what was done to you. I mean, did, did God really say, and if he can get us to question the word of God, he gets us living in a space of uncertainty. And then, ladies, if we land on, well, yeah, I know what God said. I know what God's word said. I'm confident in God's word. Get behind me, devil. I know what the word of God says. Well, then he'll go, let her be. Well, okay, that's, that's fine. But hey, I'm just kind of wondering, did God really say that to you? I mean, I know what he said. You know what he said. But did he really say that to you? Again, the whole forgiveness thing. All right, listen, girl. I know God said to forgive. But after what that person did to you, after what you've been through, I mean, do do you, like, God doesn't understand your situation. Like, in all the history of the world, nobody's ever gone through what you've gone through. And so surely God didn't tell you to forgive. And then if we land there and say, no, I know what God spoke to me. The third level that he'll get you at is why. Why would God speak to you? Come on, how special do you think you are that God would speak to you? Why would God want to say anything to you? We're going to see this in the story of the woman in the well. This lady had a reputation. What kind of reputation did she have, Pastor Ryan? Uh, She was a whore. I'm just going to talk real to you. This is a real talk church. If you've got your kids in here, I'm sorry, man. This is real talk church. Um, sorry if you don't like, like Listen, I learned a long time ago that life is short and hell is hot, and so I'm not going to play games. That's who she was. That was her reputation. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. So you would be surprised at the number of people that God wants to speak to, but, but you, like this woman, have tuned him out for years. And you haven't tuned him out because you're necessarily a bad or evil person, but you've tuned him out because you're convinced, why would he want to speak to you? The woman at the well, the Bible says she was surprised that Jesus is speaking to her. She's surprised that this religious Jewish man is talking to her. Why? Well, there's a few reasons, but the, the main one is because of her past. And there are women in this room right now, women watching online, women in our church, you're haunted by your past. Haunted by things you did. Listen, I'm not talking about things people said about you. I'm not talking about things people did to you. I'm talking about things you did. And you know it. And you're haunted by your past or you're haunted by your present, the way that you're living. And the question that you have is if there's a God like Jesus, like, like if all of this stuff really is true, and yes, I've done all of this stuff, like, like why would you want to have anything to do with me? But the reason you think that is because the enemy has taught you to believe the lie of religion over relationship. This woman, as we're about to read, on on the surface, there is nothing good going on in her life. Nothing. Her life has fallen apart. And yes, yet Jesus still chose to pursue her, just like he still chooses to pursue you. Not because of how awesome we are, but because of how awesome he is. 
But the devil's going to get you to doubt. Which leads to number two is comparison. Comparison. <laughs> Man, have you ever been with your wife or your girlfriend or your friend that's a girl and you're having a great time and she points at another girl and says, oh my gosh, isn't she so beautiful? Now, if you're a smart man, what do you do? And none, not one single service, any of you have stepped up and told the truth. You shut your mouth! You don't say anything, right? You don't say a word. But then she'll always set you up. Don't you think she's beautiful? Man, I believe God gives us a pass here. I do. I believe in this context, God says, it's okay to lie, dog. It's all right. Like, I got your back. It's okay to lie. Like, what do you do? Man, what do you do? Man, am I right? Am I right? Yes or no? You can't win. You can't win because if you say, "Uh uh-uh, no, you're lying. (laughs) Baby, I only got eyes for you. Oh, you're as full of it as a porta potty at a construction site. You tell me right now. Okay, like, she hot. Oh, she hot, is she? You want her number? Is that what you want? You want her number? No, not. Ah, Tell me what to say. I don't even know. You do this. Women, you do this. You compare. Women compare. Like, you will never, ever, 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 ever see a man walk up to another man and say, oh, your hair. Oh, my gosh. It is so odd. Can I touch it? Can I touch it? Women, you do it all the time. Look at her hair. Oh, it looks so good. I wonder where she got it done. Oh, your hair looks so nice. Can I touch it? Oh, it's fake. Never mind. Like, it's like crazy, right? Women, you can go up to any woman in the foyer today after service and say, oh my gosh, I love your outfit. And they'll tell you, Target, $23.50 on sale. Like that's what, that's what they'll say. Men don't do that. Hey man, I really like your shirt. Thanks. Like that's all you get, right? That's all we're giving you. But women compare. You compare. And you set yourself up for failure when you compare. You compare your hair to her hair, your lips to her lips, your legs to her legs, your probably stop right there but but that's it's it's dangerous and and here's the dangerous thing about comparison you in your mind you will always find somebody better than you you will always find somebody prettier than you always but it's a major trap of the devil that's how satan got to eve 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 Eve. girl you'll be like god but she was already because she was created in the image of god Eve, it's one thing you don't have. I know you got all this other stuff, but Eve, here's something you don't have. And he caused her to lose sight of how blessed she was and buy into the lie. Comparison. The woman at the well, she compared herself to other women. And because she compared herself to other women, she felt inferior. Ryan, how do you know that? Well, I'll prove it to you. Women during this time period, 2,000 years ago, women would go to get water from the well. But they would go super early in the morning. And the reason they would go early in the morning is because in the afternoon it got hot. This woman came at noontime. You know why she came at noontime when it was hot? Because she compared herself to other women. Because the other women knew about her. And in her mind, they were constantly attacking. And maybe on the surface, maybe out loud, maybe up front, maybe to her face, they were confronting her and condemning her and so she thought I'm, I'm not I'm not worthy to go with the other women I can't go early in the morning and get water with them and so I'm going to go at a time when it hurts the time when it's inconvenient so I don't have to be around the other women I need to compare myself to 
you would be shocked at the amount of people, women, that have stopped going to church because you see other people and you feel like you don't measure up. In fact, the number one lie that the enemy will hit you with in the mind of a woman is this. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. That lie right there will cause, if you reflect on that, it'll cause us to pursue stuff a sane person would never pursue. Give me some examples, Ryan. All right, here we go. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not pretty enough. And so women do all sorts of things to make themselves feel pretty. Now listen, I don't necessarily like, like makeup is fine, all right? I'm, I'm not gonna argue the biblical side of makeup. Somebody asked me one time, Pastor Ryan, Christian women shouldn't wear makeup. Bible says, and shouldn't Christian women wear makeup? I don't know. I, I don't know. Depends on her face. Like I, if she needs it, dab it on. I don't know. I legit don't know. I don't. I've had people ask me about plastic surgery. Should I get plastic surgery? I don't know. Can you afford it? Like, you don't want to, like, not be able to make payments. Like, how do they repossess plastic surgery? I don't, I don't know. There ain't nothing wrong with it. But, but here's the thing. Here's the point. If you think it's going to fix something and it doesn't, and you still don't feel pretty enough, because to you, there's, in your mind, there's always going to be somebody better than you. There's always going to be somebody prettier than you, right? Here's another one. I'm not godly enough. This is the number one reason that women stop coming to church. And the reason is because you saw some fake, stupid, super immature Christian woman, and you allowed her to intimidate you. Listen to me. Number one, if you ever run into that woman, just, just run, all right? But if you run into a woman who tells you how much she prays and journals and goes to church and serves and reads, be very careful. Be care- very careful because you'll begin to tell that, that lady what you're going through, and I promise you 10 people are going to know it by the end of the day. There are some women, maybe here right now, the reason you won't stay consistent in church is because you feel like, man, I'm not godly enough. That's what the Samaritan woman thought. Here's another one. You think, I'm not good enough, especially when it comes to kids. Like some women, let's, let's be honest. Come on. Again, real talk at Central. Your kids, your kids are crazy. They are. You got crazy, and you lie to your kids every Sunday. You tell them it's pajama Sunday. Man, you can wear your pajamas to church, and the only reason you tell them that is to get them here on time. Your kids walk in, you bring them in. Them little fools look homeless, but you're just glad to be here. And then you see the perfect family walk in. They're single file. They're getting out of the car. They're walking in, eyes straight, smiles on their face. And you're like, what are they doing? Benadryl. That's what they do. You laugh because you've done it before, right? A little Benadryl in the bottle make everything better. You'd be surprised at the number of women that think lowly of themselves because their kids are crazy. And then the kids get older and they go even more crazy and they do some things that you wish they wouldn't have done. And you blame yourself because you're a bad parent. Because if you were a good parent, your kids wouldn't have done bad things and so it's all your fault. But let me ask you a question, ladies. It's a question for the ladies, just a question to help. Is God a good parent, yes or no? Yes. Did his kids go crazy, yes or no? Is God still a good parent? Don't beat yourselves up too much. Don't beat yourself up so much, especially single moms. I get it. You're doing the best that you can. 
The third way he comes after us is condemnation. Condemnation, just putting something on a loop over and over and over again in your mind and making you feel absolutely horrible about it. This is why men, we have to watch our our words with women. I I saw this a long time ago. I heard somebody say it, and I don't don't know who who said it, and you can search it and whatever. I I don't know who to attribute it to. But it it said you need to watch what you say, men, to women because what you say to a man can weigh a pound. What you say to a woman can weigh 500 pounds. A long time ago, I sort of learned a lesson from this, (laughs) sort of. Mary, my wife, came in, and she had been shopping. Now, to my defense... She had said she was only going to get a few things. That's it. Now, that means something different to a man than a woman, right? Man, a few things means what? Two, three things, right? That's it. Women, a few things to you can mean what? A truckload. So she came back in and I don't know where is she. I don't know if she's in here. She had been to like Target and Kohl's and Bed Bath and Beyond and just bags and bags, and bags. And I said, I thought you were just going to get a few things. And she's like, Ryan, I was, but I walked in and all this stuff was on. (laughs) I don't remember what I said, but it wasn't real good. Something about like us having to live in the poor house or Chloe not being able to have shoes for the rest of her life or something like that or whatever I said, it wasn't good. And it was bad. And, And I remember, I just remember watching her shoulders slump, and, and I thought, oh, crap. I guess I'm making dinner. I'm up on the floor. I'm sleeping on the couch for a long time. And, and women, like sometimes with our words, men, if we're, not, if we're not careful, they can wound even when we don't intend them to. Like I, I just making a joke. I really didn't mean to hurt her, but it did. And this, this woman at the well, she felt condemnation probably because of what a lot of people said about her. We'll see in a little while, we'll see she felt condemnation because of the lifestyle that she was living in. She felt condemnation because of her past and because of what she was doing. And and there are ladies in this room that you feel guilty about the sins that you committed one, two, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. Let let me let me tell you the truth, some of you ladies. You're you're not gonna like this and you're not gonna agree with me, but hear me out because it's the truth. You come up to me and you say, Ryan, Pastor Ryan, the devil's really been on me lately. No, he hasn't. He hasn't. He has That idiot ain't messed with you in years. But he put a tape in your mind and hit play. And it just loops over and over and over and over again. And the self-condemnation that, has, that he has you believing about you will keep you under God's will for your life. It will. You, you've heard me say this before. If, if you talk to other people the way you talk to you, you would have no friends. But it all starts because the enemy got you to believe a lie. That because that's what you did, you can never do or you can never eat be. You can never become anything significant for Jesus. And it's a lie. So they're having this conversation, Jesus and the woman at the well, and Jesus just completely flips it upside down. She says, the woman, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, and I believe Jesus cracked a smile, because, you know, again, all the time we tell Jesus about Jesus. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I, I want you to put that in your head, and I'm going to come back to that, that word everything. Now, all throughout the Gospel of John and in other accounts, Jesus is, in, in certain situations, Jesus reveals who he is. In other situations, Jesus is trying not to reveal who he is. But right here, in this story, this is where Jesus, to an unnamed, immoral whim, woman, 
reveals who he is. Look at this, verse 26. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Like, hey, it's me. Like, look at my jersey. Look in the back. It says the Christ, number one. Like, that's me. And that statement right there, Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Changed everything. Changed everything in her life because that's what Jesus does. He, he takes all of this stuff. He takes our uncertainty and he takes our doubt and he takes our condemnation and he turns it in. He, he just flips the script. That's what he does. Jesus right here changed uncertainty into clarity. That's what he does in our lives. And I'm incredibly thankful for that because in my life, I need clarity. And here's what I love about the fact that this woman who went to the well to avoid other people, to avoid relationships, to avoid feeling less than, she goes to the well, and with one encounter with Jesus, one encounter with Jesus. And I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't say to her, he doesn't say, come here, child, let me explain who you are. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are beautiful. You are special. God created you on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose, and I've got a, I've got a plan for your life. That would have been good. That would have been true. But none of that stuff matters until we recognize who Jesus is. And when we recognize who Jesus is, that's when he puts our priorities in life in place. And so one of the things that needs to happen to some of you who are dealing with uncertainty is not necessarily for Jesus to reveal who we are, but for Jesus to reveal who he is. Because when we see who Jesus is, then we know where to go for healing. Then we know where to go for acceptance. Then we know where we need to go when our life is in the pit and we need somebody to pull us out. Listen to me. We can't pull ourselves out. No amount of makeup, no amount of plastic surgery, there's no amount of self-help, there's no amount of Oprah or Dr. Oz that can get us out of the pit. We need Jesus. And only Jesus can pull us out of the pit. I'm thankful that Jesus reveals who he is because once we understand who he is, then we can understand who he is inside of us. And that's what makes a difference. And that's what brings clarity. And so ladies, you stop running to the wrong things. Because you understand you need to run to him. Number two, Jesus turns comparison into completion. Comparison into completion. Now, I love this part. I love teaching this next part. It brings out the Bible nerd in me. When I first discovered this, it like blew my mind. Ladies, Jesus wants you to feel complete so that you don't get caught up in the comparison conflict. Because once again, you can't win the comparison game. You, you just, you, you can't. And so Jesus is having this conversation with this lady. And John, he writes the, the Gospel of John. He also wrote the book of Revelation, the first, second, and third John. In his writings, he uses the number seven a lot. The number seven is significant to John. Um, in the Gospel of John, there are seven major miracles. Um, there are seven I am statements of Jesus. And as he's writing the book of Revelation, he writes the seven churches. Um, there are seven bowls of um, God's wrath. There are seven trumpets at the end. I mean, the seven is all over the place. Seven represents the number of completion in the scriptures. It's very important. What number are we talking about? Number seven. Now watch this. We're going to flip back to verse 16. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine talking to Jesus? I don't have a husband. You're dang right. You don't have, you're like, you had a lot of husbands. He followed up with, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. So, so get this for a second. How many husbands has she had? Five. 
five husbands. So she obviously missed all the relationship messages at Central Church, all right? And then she lived with a guy. So that's how many? Six. And a lot of scholars believe that the number six represents the number of incompletion. And so Jesus says this. He said, hey, you've had five men in your life. You're shacking up with a guy right now. That's six people. Then Jesus, wow, this is so beautiful. Then Jesus comes in. Jesus gets involved. He's seven. Seven is the number of completion. Listen, don't miss this. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to complete you. Jesus came, Jesus Christ, and only Jesus Christ, completes you. I don't care what the chick said to Jerry Maguire. Oh, you complete me. No, he don't. That's Tom Cruise. That little idiot ain't freaking completed nobody, right? Ladies, stop. Hear me. Stop. Stop. Stop trying to find something in the world to complete you. Stop running to other things in the world to complete you. Guys, I'm going to say this. I don't care if this ticks you off or not. Stop trying to find a man to complete you. Stop trying to find a man to bring completion into your life. You're not, he's not going to bring completion into your life. No man is going to do it other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died, gave his life, yes, to save us, but also, ladies, though you wouldn't have to sit around and compare yourself to everybody else, but that you should know that in Christ you are enough. Only in Jesus Christ, you are enough. Jesus Christ completes you. Knock off trying to go find some man or better yet, some little boy who you think is going to fulfill your needs and make you happy. The only person that's going to fill that void in your life, the only person, is Jesus Christ. And Jesus then turns your condemnation into celebration. That's what Jesus can do. Listen to me, I don't care who you are, I don't care where you've been, I don't care what you've done, what's been done to you, or when it happened, Jesus can take that mess and turn it into a miracle. You know how I know? What had this woman been doing in this town? Don't, don't answer out loud. Just think about it. Did this lady have a bad reputation? Yes or no? Yeah. Did she get around? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And without a mind, watch what she does. Verse 28. The woman, this is a whole other message for another time, this statement right here. The woman left her water jar beside the well. That's huge. And ran back to the village, the village of shame. The village of condemnation. The village where everybody talked about her. Telling everyone, come and see a man who told me. What's that next word say right there? Everything. Everything I have ever done. Can you imagine the people going in the village? Well, I ain't too hard. We know everything you ever did. Many of us have done it with you. Like, why are you talking about this? Shut up. I don't want anybody to know. But she got this wrong. She got this wrong. Remember, she thought, here comes the Messiah, and the Messiah, when he shows up, he'll, he'll tell us everything. Did Jesus tell her everything she had ever done? No. But she's so excited about Jesus, she just goes and tells the whole town, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. It's condemnation into celebration. Because before Jesus, don't miss this, before Jesus, had she said that sentence, she would have said that sentence in shame. After meeting Jesus, she says that, that sentence out of celebration because of who he was and what he had done in her life. Isn't that cool? Verse 29, could he possibly be the Messiah? So, so she told me everything. He knows all of this stuff, but you see this right here? There's still uncertainty. There's still doubt. The people came streaming, flowing out of the village 
to see him. And you can read this. I don't have time to get into it, but what wound up happening was almost this entire village ends up giving their lives to Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the testimony of an unnamed woman who felt like she wasn't enough, who had one encounter with Jesus that changed her life, changed the village, and 2,000 years later, he's still changing lives today. And if you let him, ladies, if you let Jesus, he will take your uncertainty, he will turn it into clarity. He will take your comparison, he will turn it into completion. He and he alone will complete you. And he'll take your condemnation and he'll turn it into celebration. Listen, the devil's gonna attack you. He's going to attack. He's mean, he's nasty, that idiot is crafty. He's full of manipulation. That's why we need to focus on Jesus first in our relationships. That's, that's why Jesus needs to be first. Ladies, that's why you need to have a man who understands and has a relationship with God, that he has a relationship with Jesus. Remember, we talked about last week, and there's so much significance in that. Eve's first relationship was with God, not with Adam. She didn't find her completion in Adam. She found her completion in God, and that's what you need to do. And then Jesus will take all that condemnation, all that hurt, and and he'll allow you to, to live in freedom. Live in freedom. And so listen to his voice. Listen to him. Seek him. Put him first and allow him to set you free. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And Jesus, thank, that, thank, thank you that you just speak to us so clearly. God, help us to follow you closely in all things. Jesus, right now I want to pray for everybody in this room, but specifically the ladies. Jesus, if they're honest, some of them can't love themselves because of a past, because of a present, because of comparison, because of condemnation, because of uncertainty. And Father, I just, I just ask you in the name of Jesus to speak to every heart so clearly. God, I pray that they would hear you say, you are enough. You are enough just as you are. Even when you don't think that you're enough, girl, you are enough. You're enough. Heads bowed and eyes closed. For every woman in this room, you're struggling with whether or not you're enough. I would simply invite you to look at a bloodstained cross and think about the blood that Jesus Christ spilled out for your life. Jesus didn't die for junk. He died for you. You are enough. Maybe you're here and you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ into your life. You've never asked Jesus to come in. Maybe it's because of shame. Maybe it's because of uncertainty. Maybe it's because of condemnation. And today you realize, man or woman, you realize Jesus Christ needs to come into your life. You need Jesus. If that's you, right where you are, I would invite you to pray. Just, you can just pray this prayer. Just right in your heart, you can pray, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. And so today I ask you to come into my life and save me. Forgive me. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross, and I believe you rose from the grave. And I believe you did that to pay for my sin. And so today I ask you to come into my life. All of me for all of you. Come in and take control. Jesus, today I surrender. I surrender to you being my Lord, my God, my King, and my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know. 
As we close out in song, there'll be people in the back corners of the sanctuary who would love to talk to you about next steps, get you a study Bible, help you out. For the rest of us, I want, to, I want you to sit and I want you to focus on the words of this song. I don't, you don't need to sing it. Maybe you've heard it before. It's a song about the woman at the well. And, but I want you, to, I want you to, to see that this isn't just a story that happened thousands of years ago. This is, this is the way that Jesus Christ changes us today. That he meets us exactly where we are. Like you don't have to change anything. Nothing. He changes everything. So, Father, right now, I just thank you that you're the author of our life. And I pray over everyone in this room. God, your word says that no weapon formed against us will prosper. And so I pray against the weapon of condemnation. I pray against the the weapon of comparison. I pray against the weapon of uncertainty. And I pray, Jesus, as we walk out of this place, we'll walk out of this place knowing that you live in us. And you living in us gives us the power and the freedom and the ability to overcome anything. You've, You've delivered us from our past. You'll deliver us from our present. And God, you will give us an amazing future because you are a good, good God who wants good things for his children. And so, Jesus, I ask you to move in this room, in the hearts of your people, in ways only you can, through the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name, Jesus, amen.
Thank you.